0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Pause podcast. Today, I have a guest that I'm excited about. We're going to talk about training. We're going to talk about um, some tips. We're going to give you some tips. Evan, great to have you today. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Really excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us you know, some of your background.
1: Sure, absolutely. So the first thing just right out of the gate, the thing that Everybody wants to know that they just assume right away. Nah, this guy's got to be kidding. Like he's he's pulling my leg. His name is not (laughs) Doggett. Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) I, you know, there's been times in my life where I wish I was kidding that my last name was Doggett. There was, there was definitely some, some junior high jokes that went around, but uh, my real last name is Doggett, D-O-G-G-E-T-T, just bread, bread for the job, I guess, so yeah, yeah
0: it works perfectly man
1: it works perfectly a lot of people are just like yeah but i don't believe it it can't be true you know it's like uh a guy that sells campers with the last name caravan or something you know yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. i don't know anyway so yeah i mean so i grew up in nova scotia canada and i've i've done a lot of globe trotting but before that was ever in my life I distinctly remember, my father's an RCMP officer, so for those of you out of the country or internationally, what that is, is it's like, it's the national police. It's like, if you ever think of that stereotypical image of a Canadian police officer, it's the guy in the red jacket on a horse kind of thing. So my dad was one of those, he's a police officer, and I distinctly remember the very first time I ever saw a canine unit guy, uh, and I went, that's it this is, this is what I want to do. Like I want to, you know, I always kind of wanted to follow my dad's footsteps. but I, I think it was eight when I saw that eight mm-hmm. or nine, when I first saw that canine unit dog. Now, additionally beyond the fact that, you know, my dad was a mounting, and I get to see this dog and my last name is Doggett. I grew up on St. Bernard street. You can look it up. St. Bernard street, <laughs> Stellarton and my great-grandfather's last name, or my great-grandfather's first name, rather, is Clifford, was Clifford. So, you know, <laughs> between the big, big red dog, the St. Bernard and dog, and I didn't stand a chance. Like, I, it just, you know. It's just meant
0: to be, man, it's meant to be. Just meant,
1: just meant to be. And what's, what's interesting and what I was kind of reflecting on before, you know, before we did this podcast just a minute ago was, you know how you do things in your life, as a child or as a you know a young adult and then a long period of time goes by and you're searching and you're looking and you're trying things and you don't know what you want to do like you know I've been very blessed in the sense that like I didn't just have to work in a coal mine or I wasn't you know Mm -hmm. born in a small village in Peru where I had to you know hike out cocoa leaves or something like that like you know my dad was a Mountie my mom was a teacher and I had, I had a lot of, you know, I'm a, I'm a white guy. I've, I've been, you know, had a lot of privilege, I guess you could say, to, to do things and try things and, and have had this opportunity to try a bunch of different things. But it's funny how we just come back to like it was blatantly staring me in the face. Right? Yeah. What about dog training? But I think this is a new generation of dog trainers where we go, I can do this full time. I don't have to also sell cars or be a flight attendant or a cook or or anything right I think a lot of times our parents did a job just to make it work you know like I'm sure there were plenty of times that my mom didn't want to go back in the classroom nor my dad get back in that cruiser you know like it's not exactly the prettiest job and so my my journey went from eight years old till I was about 16 I said canine unit RCMP canine unit and then around 16, I started acting in a way that a lot of 16 year olds act. I started trying different things and, you know, pushing the, the limits and the boundaries of my parents. And you got to think pretty strict household, right? With between a teacher and, and a cop, you, yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. you know, no meant no friggin' way. Don't ask me again. And so I, I really uh, pushed them and whatnot. And I, You know, because we moved around so much with my dad's career, I kind of got this travel bug and I went, maybe I won't be a police officer. Maybe I'll run a little bit on the other side of of the law and have a little bit of uh, mischievous fun. Nothing crazy. You know, (laughs) never landed in jail or anything like that. But I globe trotted for a couple of years. But dogs have always, I've always seemed to have a dog, or there's always been a period where I was, you know, I've always been attracted to dogs. We grew up with dogs and all that. But There's like right after high school, we moved to Europe, and uh, by we I mean me and my best friend, a guy that I played in a band with, and you know there was there was like street dogs that I would end up finding myself feeding, and they would follow me home, and I also lived in Bogota, Colombia, where I you know was luring home street dogs and trying to give them a bath and doing all that foolish stuff, and and in Colombia is where I actually adopted my very first dog. Uh Bruno, you can see him on my Instagram. He's a beautiful purebred boxer, which is which is a pretty rare thing, especially in um, yeah, like
0: a stray purebred dog,
1: huh? A stray purebred dog. So he he had ticks on him when they found him. And so what they figured happened with Bruno, he was about seven or eight. Mm-hmm. And so a little bit more of a senior dog. And, and there's no ticks in Bogota. Like it's the city's way too much of a concrete jungle further to be ticked. So they figured someone had him out in the country. They couldn't take care of him anymore. They, you know, they took him in and dropped him off or God knows what happened. Maybe he jumped out of the back of the pickup truck and they didn't realize till they get home. Right. It's a, it's a very, very big city. And so um, anyway, I I landed at this adoption place. They only had one dog. I think it was just like a small, you know, to be honest, my Spanish was very bad. So communicating the fact that I wanted to adopt a dog and, and you know, that that's a four day story right there me trying to, you know, get this dog and I arrived there and they're like, this is the only dog we have. And it's a boxer. So short haired dog. Well, the thing that I left out of the story so far is that my entire life, I've been extremely up until this point, extremely allergic to dogs, any animal. Like, so the only thing that we had growing up, we had to get poodles because hypoallergenic poodles. So I grew up with little, um, toy poodles. It's uh, no miniature poodle. So toy miniature standard poodles. And so we had miniature poodles, you know, 25 pound dogs, small dogs. My first job was walking these two Australian shepherds. My first job ever, like 12 years old, besides pushing a lawnmower was walking these two Australian shepherds and I'd come home and sneeze for hours, but it didn't matter. I just, I loved it. Anyway, so I show up and I show up at this adoption agency, and they're like, "This is the only dog we have and I literally said to myself, "Well, I guess I'm not allergic anymore and that was it Wow, <laughs> and that was literally it i I took Bruno home and the the journey began of you know what the hell do you do with a dog <laughs> right? and learning all the, all, all the mistakes the hard way. Now and for those of you out there you? that have adopted uh, a, a dog that was easy and then you got an, your next dog and you're like, well, this wasn't the same. That was, that was Bruno. He was more or less a pretty, pretty easy dog.
0: And how old were you then?
1: Uh, how old was I? Two, uh, 20 20. I was 20. Nine, nine, uh, yeah, 20, 20. I had my 19th birthday in Amsterdam, my 20th birthday in Colombia. Yeah. So uh, yeah, 20 years old, and I was teaching English as a second language, living in the ghetto, because the thing about Colombia is there's about seven levels of society. Terrible thing where there's different, like almost class systems. And the first some would say five or six, anyway, it doesn't matter. Let's just say there's six. So the, the top two tiers, they all either speak English or want to speak. They all speak English of some level or they want to practice English. Right. Mm-hmm. And so then you go down another step or two, another step. And you know, most of those people, like I was, I lived, uh, I, I originally, when I got there, I was living with uh, a fairly wealthy family that I met in Canada and they all just spoke English. So I wasn't learning Spanish. Then I moved out, moved in with, uh, a. A philosophy professor a lawyer and a pilot sounds like a, a corny setup for a joke
0: <laughs> and you have uh, a lot of stories man we can talk about a lot of stories outside of dogs but
1: you know. oh for for days for days and days and you know essentially i wasn't learning anything so i moved to the ghetto and where i where i was forced to learn spanish because there was nobody uh nobody there was speaking english and i had bruno and it was just an amazing an amazing experience to try to navigate that as a young person of having a dog learning a new language teaching teaching English. Well, let me ask things. you this, let me
0: ask you this cuz you said Bruno was like 7 years old at the time and he was in Colombia so his owners were probably speaking to him in Spanish. So when you right. got him did you have to retrain him to, to understand English or did you have to give him commands in Spanish or how did that go? So you know
1: the way I kind of was with him was we just hung out. You know, like the times that I can remember mostly was like, I wasn't really that focused on obedience back then. It was more like he was easy. We would, I would take him to work with me. He would bike the, like I would bike and he would run beside my, my bicycle, no leash. I, originally it would, there was a the leash was on, but then I would, like he, he was so smart. He would literally come on the inside of the bike so that we wouldn't get wrapped up in a pole. And I was like, you got this. So I just unclipped him one day and he just, He would run like he was that easy of a dog and you got to think like all you got to do is Google image Bogota Colombia and you, you think I'd be crazy but he was a street dog right so he was street savvy he knew to stop and wait for cars he knew not to chase after other dogs like if you've ever been to a third world country, those dogs are smart, because they have to learn. Right. You yeah. step out into traffic. That's it. You know, or you might, you know, you might survive that one or, but like, you don't go chasing after other dogs. You don't bark at other dogs cause you're going to get your butt kicked. Right. So he had all this savvy skills that I just, I just inherited this amazing creature that like for the most part I just hung out with. Now the challenge came with like separation anxiety, brutal, super destructive because he wasn't used to being contained right? So -hmm. he was probably a country dog, no leash, no collar, none of that. Um, Somebody obviously leash trained him because he didn't, he didn't really pull that much or anything, but he was older. So he's more mellow, but the separation anxiety stuff was challenging. And I did it all the wrong way, all the wrong way. I fed all the wrong food. I uh, did not do the, the, you know, quote unquote discipline stuff. I didn't have a structure. I didn't have a plan. And In a lot of ways it worked out, but you know, when you're, when you're 19 or 20, like you're just negligent a lot of time, right? Like, so what you would do as an adult and to be respectful, you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily uh, think about doing as a teenager, right? Or, or in your early twenties. So yeah, I, I had it easy. I had it easy with Bruno.
0: So tell me about from that, from having Bruno, how did you get to, 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 to fall in love with training and learn, learn about the different types of training and, and all that?
1: So one day I was sit, sitting, you know, on the side of the road, having a beer with my friends and Bruno uh, in Colombia. my parents called me and they said, Evan, congratulations. You got into university. And I said, well, that's funny. I didn't apply. And they said, we applied for you. You're coming home. Get out of Colombia. <laughs> Swear to God. I swear to God. Wow. And so I had to leave. And the sad story of Bruno is he literally got stolen two days before I left. The plan was to take him home and, and to start university with Bruno. And uh somebody snatched him. That's just life sometimes, you know. Um, you know, I, I have faith that uh that you know the rest of his life was okay, but only God knows. And so I came back. So he, he was of, of like, pr- too protective or like he wouldn't like ward ah, off. And he would go with anybody. He wouldn't put up a fight. And the reason I, I mean, I have extra insurance that he was okay. Because somebody said, somebody said, listen, I saw Bruno. He was with a guy and another dog. They were on a bike and he was leashed up. And he like, you can kind of tell, right. The way someone dresses and the way, you know, someone presents themselves that they're a, quote unquote you assume anyway, that they're a good person. And, yeah. and they said, like, he looked like a good guy. And with the cast, almost the cast system there, the, the levels of society, um, you know, they, they gave me as much assurance anyway as, as they could to say that he was with, with the right kind of person. So I came back, I did three years, of university did an exchange to Argentina. And, uh, and when I came back, my life was very centered around partying, right? University, You know, I mean, I'm traveling, it was a pass or fail in Argentina, partying a lot. Mm -hmm. And I came back and I said, I need something to focus me besides school, right? Like I'm pretty smart guy. I was getting good grades. Didn't, you know, wasn't, wasn't looking to be, uh, go on to post doctorate or something like that. And, and so I needed, you know, I convinced myself that I needed something to center me and what better than a dog, you know, you can't be out all night partying if you have a dog, which isn't. exactly true but that's the Mm -hmm. lie i told myself and um and i basically dumped all of the you know i I put it off on on the dog right so i came back and um i found a dog at the sbca in montreal flew into montreal found a dog at the sbca and that was the beginning of the next chapter of like oh my god bruno was really easy i need help How old old was
0: the dog that you got at that time?
1: So they told me he was like two or three. Um, Rush, you can see him on my Instagram or, or on the, uh, the webpage. He's everywhere. He's literally like the logo is based off of Rush. He's a boxer pit bull lab mix, you know, ish, whatever. And so, yeah, he um, separation anxiety, reactive, um, could be by times dog aggressive uh a lot lot of energy lot of energy they told me he was two or three i took him to the vet and they're like oh my god no this dog's like 10 months old and so very puppyish um you know uh, containment phobia it, everything basically everything but he wasn't nervous which was nice like very friendly with people but also very defensive so like don't even like after two days of being in any house Don't even think about walking through that door. Like, launch himself at the door. (laughs) Wow. Just a nut bar. Um, Yeah. Sweet dog, but just a lot of energy, right? A lot of energy. And when you have a dog with a lot of energy and you don't have a plan, it can be very challenging. It could be very, very, very challenging. And so um, I was, I just, just fell in love with learning about dogs. I, I started researching about nutrition and health and wellness and exercise. But I was also in my third year of university, three and a half years in and how do I manage this dog? Because, you know, because like I was on a lot of bursaries and things like that, that, you know, I paid for university myself and uh, after first year, cause I was forced to go to begin with. right? right. Uh, and so, you know, after that I was, you know, I, I was working two jobs. Uh, in university, I was dairy farming, working at a drugstore and uh, had the dog and doing school. So it was a lot to manage, but I, I found myself spending more time learning about dogs than my schoolwork. I literally signed up to work at the the local doggy daycare to walk dogs. So I started a little dog walking business from there. I volunteered uh, with a groomer in my in you know in my university town and i was just reading and consuming all things dog one day someone walked into the grooming salon and they said oh my god caesar milan has the dog whisperer has a course that you can apply to uh and go out to california and work with him it's this new thing and i went well i'm definitely doing that and she had mentioned like you know i keep getting denied there was only like three the, there was only two prior classes to when I went, I was the the third class and it was, it was going to work out to be about $10,000. Now <laughs> that to a university student like that to me now is like, that'd be like saying like, you know, it's, it's, it's half a million dollars or something. Right. It's all relative. And I was like, there's no way, there's no way I can come up with that money. My now mother-in-law fronted me a good portion of the money, maxed out my credit cards and before i knew it i was on a plane mid february during university to california with my dog rush to work with cesar milan that was uh, the beginning of phase 2
0: wow so so before that you were learning on your own you you got to learn a, a couple tricks and obviously at the, at that point you stopped partying right there was no <laughs> there was no more partying you're working two jobs you have the dog you have school you went to california to work with cesar yeah. milan and what did you learn that kind of uh, dictated what you did after that? What did you fall in love with training more, or what? What was the experience like?
1: So, I mean, everything prior to going to work with Caesar Milan was basically like you know I watched there was probably nine or ten seasons. I think all I think the show was canceled by that point, and I had you know pirated all all ten episodes, all ten seasons, and just watched them on repeat. And so when I got there, it's really all I knew was kind of what Caesar Milan was doing. And what I learned was a lot of things. What I learned was that like Hollywood <laughs> can tweak a video so that a completely untrained dog looks significantly better in 23 minutes. Well, that's not the case. Right. Um, I also learned that there's a lot of different ways to train dogs. Like there was a lot of dog trainers there. And so they would say things, and I was like, "Oh, well, I never heard him say that." And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, he, you know, that's not something Caesar Milan would say." So it kind of opened my my mind up to the idea that, "Oh my God, there's there's more than just Caesar Milan's way, right?" That's the number one thing that I took from the course. To be perfectly honest, was like there's other ways to train dogs. I don't have to do this. And a lot of the things was like pack walks. Well, that's what I did to, you know, to have fun. The thing was walking packs of dogs, but I got this really special moment with Caesar Malone himself because I was doing all this pack walking. I, you know, every morning would start with a pack walk. Well on day four, I went, yeah, I'm not going on a pack walk. I'm going to hang out, play fetch with rush up in the mountains in California and just have some alone time. And then as I'm coming down the mountain, um, I meet face to face with Cesar Milan and his pack of dogs and he was just going to feed the llamas and because he's got all kinds of critters there and I because I lived in Colombia speak a bit of Spanish and so I was like you know in Spanish which always makes uh, you know a native speaker more more comfortable I was like do you mind if I hang out with you it was kind of a little hesitant right I mean as I'm sure a lot of celebrities are is like what is this guy gonna say or try to do? Like, there's, there's when once you hang out with celebrities for a while, you get to see that a lot of them are, in my experience anyway, the limited experience I have is they're a little bit mistrustful, right? Which, rightfully so, he had a uh, lot of things going on. Want something
0: his, from them, you know, versus somebody always wants hammering.
1: something, don't they? Right? Yeah. It's yeah. not, it's not how can I help you? It's what can I get from you? A lot of times, right. right? So he's like, but you know, the fact that I spoke Spanish and I kind of, you know, threw in some colloquialisms <laughs> helped and the whole crew that I was hanging out with that week, I only hung out with the Spanish speakers, which was just a blast. Right. I mean, you know, Latinos are, uh, they're hilarious anyway. So I go in and I start feeding the the llamas with Caesar and, you know, before long, I can't keep up span in, in Spanish. So we, we switched to English and, uh, you know, I went, you know, this is my moment, right? Like I'm alone with Cesar Milan. I'm not going to get this opportunity. It's not like he was around 24-7. Before that, you
0: didn't meet him at all. Like you went there for the
1: So like, so like he was presenting, right? Like I might be up on stage if I got chosen, but it was a group of like 40 people, 50 people. Like it wasn't, it wasn't like a, I'm going out to work one-on-one with Cesar Milan. It was like a, you know, a group experience. So I said hi to him you know <laughs> actually what I did was I walked up and I went I like clapped him on the back and was like Don Caesar," which means like the boss Caesar you know and he looked up yeah, at yeah. me and just went like hi <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh god who was this crazy fanboy you know I fanboyed out way too hard well, like, at that hey.
0: time you were with him you know You you, you started hanging with him
1: so the one-on-one time I got, I was like, don't ruin this, Evan. You know, like this right. is your one shot of asking Caesar Milan a one- and getting like one-on-one time. So I went, what? So, so I was like, can you teach me something? He's like, what do you want to know? And I was like, anything, anything. And he's like, no, that doesn't cut it. Like ask me a specific question and I'll try to answer it. And I'm just like, shit, you know? Yeah. And so I said, um, nothing prepared. I said, can you tell me about one mistake you made in your personal life and one mistake you made in your business life so that I don't need to make the same mistake?
0: And the look on
1: his face was like, I just almost like I slapped him. He just, or like he saw a ghost or something and he just went, Whoa. Um, You know, he wasn't expecting that. And he said, okay, so here's my answer. My number one mistake of my personal life was I made my number one person, your number, make your number one person in your life someone who supports you, someone who believes in you, someone who isn't going to be a yes man or a yes woman, but someone who's going to say, you can do it someone who genuinely believes in you that might say like, okay, probably not the best idea to jump off the building. If you don't have a parachute, you know, they're not going to just say yes to everything, Yeah. but someone who's going to, and it was literally like a Yoda moment. I'm in mean, where it was like, he was literally drawing in the sand. He went, this is you right in the middle. And all these people around you on the right, these are all people that believe in you and all these other, and he's making little dashes in the sand, all these people on the left, you see these guys over here. Yeah. Okay, the one at the top there—that's you know—that was the number one person I had in my life, and this was a no person. No, you can't do it. No, that won't work. Nobody will buy that. Nobody will believe in this. Nobody's gonna do this. Yeah. And he said, it, you know, it's a very challenging thing. And for those of you that have those people in your life, for for me to be brutally honest, that was my parents a lot of time. It was like dog trainer. You're gonna spend ten grand during university. To go out. Well, you don't have that money. This isn't going to work. Just do dog grooming. You can make thirty thousand dollars a year. That's a great job. Blah blah blah. And and it's really challenging when you have that and you and you feel alone. Thank God for my now wife. I mean, you know, it was literally my girlfriend at the time, and her mom was like, "I'll front you six grand, no problem," <laughs> because they believed in me. You know, and eight years later, uh, I'm here. But he said so. That was his personal advice: was make sure that you surround yourself with positive people. So important. Right. And he said, my business advice, the number one mistake I ever made was I didn't sign a contract. And when I did sign a contract, it was a terrible contract. He's like in Mexico, your word is your bond. You shake hands. And you know, he's also a little bit older. Caesar's probably pushing 60 now. So like back in, you know, um, Michoacan or whichever province he's from is like, you know, your word is your bond, right? Like kind of an old cowboy kind of way, right? And so he's like when I when I signed the contract, like all basically the contract was and you can this is public knowledge. You can look it up like all the Caesar Milan hairbrushes and crates and t shirts and beanie babies and what he never saw a cent for that. He never saw a penny. Really?
0: So he doesn't even own it was an He doesn't
1: even own the dog whisperer name. That's that's National Geographic's name. He's not the C he's not the dog whisperer right
0: you know, and so
1: he can't he, he can't even use that name so so those are the two pieces of pieces of advice that he gave me um and he all you know it was don't uh, don't take somebody by their word you know sign a contract and i learned that lesson many many times and it's as someone who wants to believe that this is going to be for the best and that everyone wants to help you because you want to help them Uh, it's not always the case. So be, you know, open, but cover your ass, you know, basically.
0: Wow. These are actually great, great advice. And, you know, for personal life, really. I mean, and and back to what you're saying about parents, parents always want the best for you. Yeah. And, and however, they always want you to take um, the safest route, you know, that's right. So, so we all, I think we all, face anyone who has an idea, you know, of, of of a life that's different than the typical, you know, um, you know, school job, um, continue in that job, maybe, maybe switch, you know, climb the ladder, all that. If you have any, um, different idea than that, I think most of us will have our parents say no, and you shouldn't try that. But, but yeah, I mean, back to Caesar, that was, that is definitely uh, special. So he didn't give you any advice on on dogs or or on on that career. He was kind of giving No, that-
1: I mean I didn't I didn't ask for it. I went I went pretty philosophical, you know. I was. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that's what you get when you have an arts degree, I guess. Anyway, so so I left California. I came back convinced, like just affirmed. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I don't necessarily want to do it Caesar's way. I want. go and work with everyone that I met at the conference. I want to go and and Google best dog trainers in the world and work with every single one of them. And what that turned into is I I came back, I finished university and I, I, you know, (laughs) the, the blatant truth is that my major was Spanish in university and that's not a teachable in Canada. So what that means is you can't apply to teacher's school, teacher's college mm-hmm. um, or universities that, you know, make you become a, a school teacher, which was the plan when I went mm-hmm. in, cause I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, it was just kind of the default. You, you can't do it. So imagine finishing four years university, going to apply for univers for, you know, your next level. And then being be like, no, no, you got to go back and do it again. <laughs> So I went, what do I do now? Well, I guess I'm going to go all in on the dog training thing. So the dog training thing when I went to Caesars was like a test. And then I came back and heard a lot of that stupid or not necessarily that that's stupid, but like you can't be a full-time dog trainer. You want to have a wife and kids and a house and all that stuff. You can't do that being a dog trainer. Well. Proved them wrong. Packed up my stuff post university, moved across the country, literally drove across the continent uh, to British Columbia and trained hunting dogs for a year. Learned uh, grooming, learned how to run a boarding facility. How did you How did
0: you get into that? So like, because so
1: I so I literally Googled top gun dog. I I was really big into hunting back, you know, back in the day, spending a lot of time hunting and fishing and all that uh dnr department of natural resources and fisheries wasn't seeming to be an option so it was like what do i love doing i love spending time with my dog i love being outside i love hunting and fishing doing all this stuff so like what about hunting dogs i could probably make a go of that and so i, I literally googled top gun dog like hunting dog kennels in canada and you know it with the proper SEO, <laughs> your your website can pop up whether you're the best or not. And so yeah. I I moved to British Columbia, trained hunting dogs, lived on a cutting ranch, which is like a a, a style of horse riding cattle. Oh, but I'm I'm, cattle.
0: Focused, I'm asking you because from from an entrepreneurial standpoint, yeah, moved there. How did you get those people to actually get you to train their dogs? Or was it kind of you? Okay, so so program?
1: yeah, so I mean, to, for them to give me a chance to work there, yeah. So what I did was I um, I bought a return ticket to the place. I called them and I said, listen, I want to I come and work for you. And they went, you know, what, what's your experience? And after about four questions, she went, okay, well, your experience is nothing. <laughs> you, know, you can only bullshit so far. You know, I worked at Caesar Milan's. Okay, well, that's great. What does that have to do with hunting dogs? Have you done this? Have you done that? Have you and I didn't even know what the words were. And, uh, and she's like, oh, okay. And I was like, listen. I bought a ticket i didn't actually buy a ticket at that point but i was like listen i bought a ticket to bc already i'm coming out there anyway can i come hang out for a few days and like you know and, I, and I'll, I'll i'll do whatever you want i'll clean kennels i'll you know i'll walk dogs whatever you want i got out there and the lady's husband had just passed and i got out there and she's like hey do you know how to change the spool on a whipper snipper i went like, yeah of course and, uh, my first, my very, 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 very first job was cutting lawns. Right. And then right after that was walking dogs So of course I know how to, uh, run a snipper. and you know, in high school I had a con- quote unquote construction company, landscaping, and all that. I've yeah. done a million things. And so I was like, yeah, of course I know how to change the for a snipper. And she went, you're hired. And, and so I spent the week there working and making a little bit of money, flew back to Nova Scotia and it'd be like, you know, Maine to California just in terms of geography. And so I packed up my 1997 Toyota 4Runner and my dog, the guitar, um, sleeping bag, and a few other things and started to drive, made it about 400 kilometers and the truck broke down. Anyway, a week later, I got to BC and I ended up staying there a year. And very quickly, I learned what I wasn't comfortable doing very quickly time, i learned you that
0: kinda, you, your girlfriend went with you or you, you let you, she stayed back and then you went on your she
1: boat. so she you know i it was one of my professor's daughters uh, that you know we we met at, during university and she would come out and visit her dad and so we met and just as i was finishing university my last semester she moved to nova scotia got a good government job and then I moved to BC. <laughs> and so she stayed in Nova Scotia and I was out there and she came out to visit one time. So we did long distance for like 4 years. She's not my wife. Um we really made it work, but again, having that person in your life that that genuinely believes in you, you know, makes a world of yeah, difference. Man, she always that, knew what you're
0: telling me now is like, you know, the sacrifice of you leaving Leaving her behind, going, and then I'm, and I really admire what you did, by the way. You know, calling and, and and fighting through not having the experience. That's truly the entrepreneurial spirit and what you have to do mm. to achieve your dream. So that shows how passionate you are about training. That's that's really awesome, and that's why I wanted to dig into it because you kind of skimmed over. But I'm like, wait a minute. I mean, how did the how did you the <laughs> get them to actually do it? You because know? I know how hard yeah. it is when you start something. To get yeah. people to trust you, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah. Well,
1: especially you imagine getting a call, you're in California, some kid calls you with no experience from Maine being like, Hey, I really want to do this thing. It's like, yeah, you know, bugger off kid. I got stuff to do. I don't have time to, to train right. you and right. do all this. And you know, and also like her husband had just passed and she had this other guy working there and whatever, like there was a lot going on, but you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a believer in God and a faithing man. And, and so was that woman. And she went, this has got to be a sign, you know? And, and I truly believe it was like, I learned a ton there, what I want to do, what I don't want to do. um, And so, yeah, but uh, you know, to touch on that entrepreneurial side, like you got to do stuff you don't want to do for a long time, you know, like it's not fun shoveling shit and cleaning diarrhea and, you know, walking into a building with like you know, howling dogs and barking up. But like, if you have an idea of something you might want to do, just go do it. Don't worry about finding the perfect thing and your passion. It like, it doesn't matter what you do. There's going to be a lot of moments that don't feel very passionate. I was, I've never been passionate about shoveling dog shit. I will tell you that for a fact, <laughs> but yeah. But there are amazing moments. There are amazing things that you learn along the way by doing <laughs> pun intended, shitty jobs. Right. And so, um, yeah, so I moved out to BC and you know, it was, it was a big change and I was training hunting dogs and training. We built a, a dock diving facility. So like where they run and have you ever seen that, that sport where they run down a dock and they launch into a pool yeah, um, yeah, we built one of those. So I was training that, and they had like a little agility thing. So how did you figure out how to? Class. That's another
0: question too. How did you figure out how to train them to do that? Or did they? So, it was, a, you that so it was a
1: lot of no, and like at that point in my career, like I was just doing a lot of following. You know, like I was doing a lot of shadowing, um but I had a little bit of experience. And and the internet's a beautiful thing where I was learning a lot. You know, you got to think this is um 2013, so there was you know, like YouTube was a thing and Facebook was a thing, but it wasn't where it is now, you know? Um, and I didn't, you know, I wasn't YouTubing dog training and things like that. Um, I don't think there was a ton on there back then. Maybe there was, but anyway, I wasn't looking at it, but I had some experience and I had met some people at the Caesar Milan things and in between things that, you know, I would ask and get coaching on. And I was very quickly learning Like for example, their method was no, no food training. It was just pressure on pressure off, except it was a very kind of, uh, you know what a choke chain is or a check chain. Yeah. So it was, they're big, big fans of that and electric training collars when you have, so let's define that as negative reinforcement pressure. Okay. Mm -hmm. So pressure on pressure off. Right. I, I apply pressure in a way. Let's just talk, let's just talk theory for a second. Okay. To give some context for moving through the story. So there's essentially three schools of thought purely positive, which is, it's exactly what it sounds like. No negative reinforcement, no saying no, literally it can get so extreme. And I've worked with these people that they don't even use a clicker, that little like snaple top, mm-hmm. annoying sounding little thing. That little click, click to mark the good behavior. They literally won't use those because that is an adverse sound to the dog. Right, like they won't even they won't even make a click because it could upset the dog. Purely positive training, so very heavy on treats, very heavy on um, luring and shaping behaviors. Amazing. Don't get me wrong, like don't don't misjudge my my laughter as uh, like I don't believe in positive reinforcement. It's so important. How good does it feel when you come home and, or you wake up or whatever? or Someone says like, "Damn, you look good today." Like that feels good. Right. I don't care who you are, right? Hey, did you lose weight? You're looking good. Mm-hmm. Sure did. Well, you didn't, but yeah, I'll take right. the compliment. No problem, right? Yeah. You're in the you're you're going COVID. You know, there's a little break in COVID. And you get back to the salon for the first time, and that person is massaging your scalp, right? Like that. That feels <laughs> good. That is positive reinforcement. Someone's feeding you cheesecake bring it on. Right? So I'm a huge fan of positive reinforcement. Um, But this one side of the coin is purely positive, only positive reinforcement. No saying no, no negative, no, no tools. Some people won't even put a leash on the dog because technically that is negative reinforcement. As soon as that leash connects to the body and there's pressure that's negative. Right? And so flipping the coin, you have compulsion training. So, there's, it's, it's, think of it as like how the police operate. If you're not doing anything wrong, typically, you know, let's not go down the political uh, realm right now or, you know, all that. But uh, if you're not doing anything wrong, they shouldn't anyway, correct you. There should be no negative reinforcement. Mm -hmm. But if you do something wrong, there's levels of negative reinforcement. Okay. So, but there's the only positive is that they don't negatively reinforce you. Right, you get to keep doing that thing. Maybe they say, Good job, right? Good boy, you're doing the right thing. But if you screw up, there's a level of negative reinforcement. Mm -hmm. And then in the middle of the coin is balanced, or you know, for lack of another term, balanced training, or um, some people will say positive first training. So it's using positive and negative, it's using both of those, and ideally without going to the extreme of those two. Okay. So what I subscribe to now is the balanced approach, but in, in, in getting to this point, I went and worked with everybody. So a lot of my beginning years was learning about negative reinforcement and my pursuit in recent years, you know, well, early, early on was like, what's the least amount of negative reinforcement we can use? I believe in negative reinforcement. Again, you know, the, the son of a police officer and a teacher I, and, and, and now a father and raising a lot of dogs and other people's dogs, negative reinforcement is part of life. The sun doesn't stay shiny all the time. That would be wrong, right? Like you have a circadian rhythm you go to you gotta go to bed. You gotta go to bed at some point. The sun has to set, you know, it's gotta get cold to appreciate the heat. Right. And I'm in Canada, so it's it's getting there right that, now. That's a perfect uh, now. In Miami. But it's it, it, it that that is when I look at the world, you know, when you look at anything, um, you got the ocean, you got the air, you got the elements, all that stuff, there's always a positive and negative. And what a lot of people are are missing with negative reinforcement is that it, that dogs do it to each other. Animals do it to each other. The earth does it to you and it helps you become stronger. It makes you a better person. It makes the dogs better when you learn how to go through hard times, when you learn how to go through stress, a lot of people want to avoid negative reinforcement everybody wants to i want to avoid negative reinforcement but i also know that it makes me stronger i was a little bit freaked out when we got on onto this call originally because i just did a, a <laughs> super sweaty and gross i just did a, a, a high intensity workout kind of thing and i hated it the whole time until about three quarters of the way through where i was like
0: almost there
1: i was there and i feel i feel fantastic now but it was grueling it was horrible I didn't enjoy it, but I knew that that negative reinforcement will make me strong. Will make me able to go out into the world because I I'm a very emotional dude, and I get very affected by things I see in social media, things that people say to me, things that people don't say to me. The weather, you know, seasonal uh, seasonal depression is is a real thing. Where when you're not seeing the sun, you know. There, I was just looking at the forecast, and it was like it now tells you how many hours of sun will be out. Tomorrow's five hours. The next day, there's one hour of sun a day for the next week. And then there's a bunch of days where there's no sun. So like that effect, affects a person. I don't know why the hell I still live here, but I do. Anyway, so, but I need to be strong. So you know what I do every day? I take a cold shower. I take a freezing, I live on a mountain with a mountain spring and I take a freezing cold shower every day because it, I know through science that it boosts me. So it's the same thing with my dogs. I make my dogs do difficult things and they actually really like it to be honest. So what those difficult things are is I make them work for their food. And I'll explain that a little bit further um, as, as we go on. But rather than just giving them everything, rather than just always letting them have a tempur mattress or do whatever they want, whenever they want to do it, by by allowing, by by creating some discipline and structure in their lives, discipline, a lot of people think that just, you know, Beat the dog. No, discipline doesn't mean that you're doing anything like that. It just means that there's a challenge and that you are strong in your fortitude of, of your commitment to that thing. That's what discipline is. And that's, that's my definition of how I apply it anyway. So um, it's important to do challenging things. So, so when my dogs do things that I don't want them to do or, or potentially dangerous things, I believe as dog parents, dog owners, whatever you want to say. I, I often refer to the, to, to my dogs as, as my kids. Um, and you know, I'm a, I'm a human father as well to my skin babies, my fur babies, but I, I challenge them and I really, you know uh, my number one role is to keep them safe, right? Whether you have a human child or a dog child, your number one role in my opinion is to keep them safe, not necessarily comfortable right? That is a lot where society is going today. And a lot of people are going to disagree with me and believe that you should be able to say, you know, that everyone should um, be comfortable all the time and we should all have no challenges and we should never be hungry or thirsty or tired. We should just, you know, be blobs basically. I, I don't subscribe to that. And that's why I find the balanced approach works best for me and works for my dogs with the emphasis on the positive. I worked out because it flooded me with dopamine right afterwards and, and during and, and things like that. And all those endorphins and all that stuff, like it, it, it's drug addiction, but in a healthy way, right. As opposed to getting a quick hit from social media or a quick hit from a joint or a, you know, or a drink or, or whatever. Right. Um, looking at something on your computer. So it's the same thing for the, for my dogs, and this is where we struggle a lot with reactive dogs and stuff. Sorry, go ahead. I, I guess I was going on a wilder.
0: No, no, I'm saying all that stuff makes you feel bad afterwards where, you know, working out or, or actually doing um, any activity would make you feel better afterwards.
1: That's right. That's right. So, you know, is it you know you're, you you get that little you get that little hit the problem with the hit from the joint is or the cigarette or whatever is before long it's not enough right <laughs> and that it's and that it's two joints and then it's 10 cigarettes and then it's three hours of netflix and 10 hours of netflix and it it just you know at the end of it you just feel terrible so my, one of my rules is i'm only allowed to watch tv if i'm working out or stretching now and it's uh way better way better i you know I, I still am like oof, that was three hours but like you know <laughs> at least at least my muscles are a little bit loosened up so with my dogs i don't i don't put that kind of stress on them in the sense that like you got to work out for three hours or you got to do a sit state for three hours literally my method is three to five minutes every day that's it if you can do three to five
0: minutes to get their food like what kind of activities
1: Okay. So, you know, let's say the the secret, and I talk about this on my, my podcast, if you just Google dog at style, there's the website and Facebook and all all the social media things, but I've got a podcast and the number one episode, it it talks about the secret of dog training. It's also in the online program. Your first video is what I call the secret of dog training. And I learned this from my last mentor and it's, you know, and he learned it from somebody else and it's, it's not, it's not a secret. It's literally the same thing that you do when you go to work—you have to work to get the money. If you don't, if your job is scrubbing dishes and you show up and just stand there, you don't get paid, right? Yeah. If they come in and are like, "What? Why are these dishes still dirty?" And you go, "Well, you know, like my—I thought my job was just to show up." No, your job is to wash the dishes, right? So it's the same thing with our dogs. But this is what we do with our dogs: all they have to do is show up, right? You get food, you get a tempur mattress, you get Perrier water, you get you know, back rubs and the best food and the best supplements and all this stuff. And then we go, Hey, can you sit for me or not bark at the neighbor or whatever? And they're like, why would I do that? <laughs> I already got everything I needed. Right. Yeah. Every, and all the stuff I didn't want. And so that is the challenge that we face is dogs always used to have a job. Dogs always used to, um, there was a, there was a the chain of command in a way that like, you know, you get, you get, they just cut the scraps. They just cut the leftovers a lot of times. Right. And so I'm not suggesting that you need to do that, but let's say you're feeding raw or let's say you're feeding kibble. It's much easier with kibble, but it's totally doable with raw. I feed my dogs completely, you know, raw diet. And I literally have a, a, an interview with a vegan vet tomorrow. So, I'm going to be talking about that and doing a whole series on, on YouTube about feeding your dog a meatless diet. Sounds crazy. I'm I'm looking into it and going to do a full, full investigation here, but regardless of whether you're feeding your dog, just carrots or deer meat, the idea is that rather than putting it in a bowl and then giving that bowl to the dog is that you put it in your hand right now, it, again, it can be a little bit challenging with um, with raw food, but let's say you're doing kibble to get your foundation of your training down is you put it in your pocket or you put it in a food pouch and you just go through all the, the, the quote unquote commands that you would think of when you, when you're thinking of obedience, right? What would you think of? Like, what are, what are some commands that, that you work on with your dog?
0: Um, sit, lay, um, stay, come. Those are kind of the basic ones that I like to, to always do before I give him a treat or anything like that.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Right. So you go like one, two, three, four, five, here's a treat. Or one, two, three, four, five, here's your full bowl of food,
0: right? Right. Yeah. Usually with with, with the food, I just make them sit and wait until yeah. I tell them to go eat. So I kinda that, that's, you know, making him work a little bit, but for sure. So wash one dish and then here's your two-week paycheck. Right. Right. Right?
1: So you see you see it now? Versus, hey, let's break that meal up into Five, ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty different things. Let's say you're feeding your dog, how many cups of food do you feed him? What kind of dog is it again? He's, he's a Doberman. What's his name? Cairo. Cairo, I love it. So he's probably eating what five, six yeah. cups of food a
0: day? Six, yeah.
1: Yeah, so that's a, a lot of food. So you don't have to go kibble for kibble. But, you know, that's probably, you know, depending on the size of the kibble, a hundred pieces of kibble, that's a hundred opportunities that you have to work on a sit and a down and a lay and a come and a heel and a backflip and a get me a beer and do the dishes and whatever it is that you want to teach your dog to do. That's each of those little nuggets is an opportunity to work with your dog. But when you just drop it on the floor, that's it. Game over right? And then you don't have their attention because they have a full belly, right? And so when you, when you do that and then you go out in public and if your dog is, for example, eating dog food, um, that's a bit, you feed them and then you take them for a walk. They are flooded with sugar. They are on a super, super sugar high because that's the way kibble gets absorbed. It's just, a and depending on what kind of kibble, it's just a big super dose of of uh carbs right and so Mm -hmm. it gets transferred into sugar you know refined processed food and then they and you we wonder why they go so crazy why from 6 to 7 p.m is my dog batshit crazy right it's because they're that's when a lot of people feed them well they're on a sugar high and you didn't you didn't burn off nearly enough energy today so they're flying from all the energy that they pent up all day. They're excited because everyone's home and they're on a sugar high. And then you take them for a walk and you wonder why they're so reactive. Um, That's why. Diet, exercise, and a lack of using that food to your advantage. So rather than putting it in the bowl and then going for a walk or going for a walk and then putting it in a bowl, put it in your pocket, right? Another thing nutritionally that's, that's super powerful is adding in real food. So things to help balance the fats. Have you ever heard of um, bulletproof coffee or like, you know, putting fats in your coffee? Not really, no. Okay. So it's, you can just look it up bulletproof. It's a brand, but you can, you can do it. Like I don't use any of the bulletproof um, stuff. I find it doesn't sit well with my stomach, but it's basically the idea of adding MCT oil. So uh, medium chain triglyceride oil from coconuts that uh, it's really it's like you know superfood for your brain. So when you add that to their diet, when you add those fats, it helps balance with the sugar. But it's also giving them really necessary. Um, same thing if you're adding you know supplements and things like that. It's all which is which is what you guys do. When your nutrition is the foundation. So for me, the things that I teach now, after you know going to Texas and being in BC and and you know uh, studying nutrition, studying this and learning grooming and learning dog walking and working at a doggy daycare. And for me, I've never been this guy that wants to be the best at one thing. I want to know a bit about everything. It's like, I play the drums and I play the guitar and I play the piano and I play the harmonica. I'm not fantastic at any of them, but I can, you know, I can, I know my way around all of those instruments. Um, you know, I ski and I snowboard. I do that. Like I've, I'm the most (laughs) diverse. It's gotta, it's gotta do with the ADD if you haven't noticed, but it's for me, it's like, I, I need to know for me, there's seven elements of, of pet parenthood, of raising a dog. And so that's, that's what I did with my online courses. It's seven, seven different things to talk about all the different ways that we can work with our dog, because it's not just one thing, right? Like, I mean, you have a supplement company. It's not just about getting your dog to do a sit, stay, come heal, right? It's about what you're putting in their body as well. Right. What are some of the noti- What are some of the differences you've noticed by adding your uh, supplement to Cairo's diet?
0: Um, the things that you can notice short term and that I noticed with him, because when he was younger, he used to have, um, I used to be in Connecticut now I'm in Miami but um, we used to live in Connecticut when he was younger and he would have dry skin. Even yep. though, you know, we give him fish oil or coconut oil in the food. But that definitely went away. So the supplements helped with that short term. Yep. Uh, digestion too, because he, you know, Dobermans, I don't know if you know, but they have sensitive stomachs always totally. have stomachs. dogs too. That helped with, with regulating his digestion. So again, with supplements, it's mainly long-term, you know, care and long-term, um, you know, nutrition support. But those are the things that even in the short term, I, I noticed.
1: Right. Right. And and so like by adding that bit of superfood to the kibble, right? That's helping. Sure. It's helping with coat, right? But that oil is also helping his ligaments and his brain function, right? If you just eat candy bars all day, you feel great for about 10 minutes and you feel like shit for a long time after that. Well, it's, it's the same thing. So, The seven elements that I cover, because I've studied all of these things and I have played in all of these different areas um, is one, I always talk about health first. Like when, when someone wants to sign up with me to do private lessons, uh, whether they're in Miami or, you know, Timbuktu or, you know, uh, Japan, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. We're talking about health first. What are you putting into them? Because it's the same thing. Like I couldn't do that workout that I just did if I had McDonald's before or after. It would shut me down. Yeah. And and your dogs are very in tune with their bodies. They just can't speak English or French or Japanese or whatever. They try, but they're also very stoic animals. They're not like you or I. If I get a cold, I'm out for a month. I'm crying and complaining. But my wife is uh, French and Irish, so she doesn't put up with it the way my mother did. She <laughs> <laughs> she kicks me out of bed pretty quickly. So, uh but health first, okay. So I talk about health, and there's you know twenty videos on that. Play how to play with your dog, right? What are some things that you're that Cairo likes to do? I'm sure he's a play monster, is he?
0: Yeah, we kind of you know we play really rough, me and him. Yep. He doesn't do that with, yep. back, but with me, we we kind of we go out, we wrestle a little bit. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, it's you know that my wife complains about that all the time with between. between wrestling with the dogs and wrestling with my two boys, she's just like, I don't think I signed up for this. You know? Yeah. So it's it's fun to wrestle, which would probably intimidate the heck out of a lot of people. You wrestling with a doberman. My God, so I call the police. Um, but yeah, so so play is part of it, leadership, or you know, I, I actually refer to it as the you section. So there's a lot that we need to learn, right? A big part of the reason that I'm, you know, on this fitness track that I'm on you know, it's for surfing, it's for longevity, whatever, but it's, I gotta keep up to these dogs. They're crazy. You know, like they won't, they don't tolerate me sitting around, you know, and what happens as a result of me just, if I'm just like, no, nah, let's have an off day. You know, they are a little, some of my personal dogs are a little bit older now, but if you have a young crazy dog, <laughs> that is the source right there is like, you got to burn off that energy. Number one, I mean, well, number two. First thing is like, what kind of energy are you putting into your dog? Is it just sugar? Is it just crack? You know? Um, and so if that's all they're consuming, that's going to be your first frustration. You get your health settled, um, feeding this dog, right? Supplements, food, you know, getting their gut health. That's the number one. One of the number one things in the health section is, is getting their gut right. Um, And you, a Doberman owner, know that very intimately. Obedience, of course, is very important. Teaching all the different commands. Um, Again, our number one rule is, or our number one priority is to keep that dog safe, right? So if your dog doesn't come when called properly, you know, if you're not working on that, if you're not working on, say, a place command, go to your bed, go to your kennel, whatever, you're going to, you're going to struggle. There's going to be limitations to what you're able to do with your dog. Are you able to have them off leash? Can't have your dog off leash. You are going to struggle, right? Because your dog was not born to be on leash all the time or at all. We, it's something that we need to train. So obedience is part of the course, raising a puppy, but also raising a rescue dog. I work extensively. I have a big background in working with rescue dogs. All my dogs have been rescue dogs uh, other than Vega, my black lab who I raised as you know this hunting dog she's a master level hunter now and so you know and she's had a couple litters of puppies so raising a rescue dog and raising a puppy whether it's a you know raising a rescue puppy or raising a rescue adult dog um, or raising a puppy purebred rescue whatever are very similar in my opinion and, and and how i do things is you want to start with a regimented you know Uh, House training. You want to start with. You want to look at what you're feeding them. You want to treat them like you're not sure if the blender is going to set them off. Because what if, you know, the the arsehole that had the dog before you, your rescue dog, you know, turned on the blender. The blender broke, and he threw the blender at the dog's head. Like you don't know, right? You see this a lot with brooms or things like that. You pick up a broom and the dog assumes you're going to attack you with it, attack them with it. Um, You don't know. So it's the same thing with a puppy. You want to introduce things slowly. You don't want to freak them out all the time, but you also want to put a little bit of stress on them to go, okay, the world is, you know, I'm not going to hit you, right? It's, it's okay. Uh, Dealing with unwanted behaviors. There's a whole section on that because You know, (laughs) I got to live them all personally with my, with my dogs. I've had a lot of personal dogs come into my life and then I find them new homes. And personally, I only have three right now, Rush, the Boxer mix, Vega, the Lab, and then Mufasa, who's a great Pyrenees Rottweiler mix. He's, he's a big boy. I learned a lot with him too. And all my other dogs that have come and gone uh, that I found other homes for. And then of course, you know, working with hundreds and probably over a thousand private clients. Uh, And then the last section is body language. Your dog does speak a language. It's just not English, right? They can learn commands. They can learn things, but they're always speaking. They're always saying something or interpreting something. And that's how they, if you said sit, and lifted your hand up with a piece of food in it. You know, hand goes up, their head goes up, their bum goes down. Just naturally. If you just hold food over your dog's head, yeah. once they're done jumping, they're going to sit right with a young dog. Yeah. And that becomes your signal. That becomes your cue to the dog. That's the thing your dog's looking at. If you lift your hand up, right, which a lot of people do for sit or they point to the ground for lay down, whichever let's just stick with sit. And then you lifted your hand and said potato, the dog's still got to sit. They're not going to go, wait a minute, potato. That's something you eat. They're not paying attention to what you're saying as much. They're, they're paying attention to how you're saying it. So there's a whole section on body language to learn what are dogs saying to each other? You know, before you go in the dog park, are you watching the other dogs to go, what kind of a conversation are they having? Are you know, is it a bunch of just young foolish dogs or is there one dog in there that's like just waiting? for your big intact Doberman to go in so that he can pick a fight, right? So it's important to learn their language because they are trying to speak to us. They, they, they do have ways of saying, I'm sick, or I'm happy, or I'm sad, or I'm nervous, or I'm scared, or I'm, I'm not actually aggressive, mom. I'm just reactive. I'm not actually aggressive. You know, I'm not actually um, fear aggressive. I'm whatever. So there's a whole section Uh, in the online program on that as well. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's priced pretty cheap. It's only 200 bucks American. Uh, That way, you know, my goal is to help more people, anybody with a rescue out there, we're working with um, setting them up so that their staff gets it for free, their fosters get it for basically free. And uh, you know, it's only cost them a couple of bucks and then their, their own people, um, you know, they can promote it. and, And that way the dog comes into, the foster care system and the person has a system they have a plan of how do i do it because far too often we go on youtube we google something and we're left after two three four five hours sometimes almost feeling schizophrenic right like one person said yes one person said no one person said do this the other person said never do yeah, that
0: because uh, yeah, even even when you want to teach how to walk on a leash you know some people say prong collar no prong oh collar my with, with god the, the,
1: it's crazy 100 the wild west
0: yeah. Yeah. So, so, how, so how the course, how does the course work? Is it, is it like um videos or is it one-on-one or, or how
1: it's, it's all it's so, so the online course there's options to work with me in a couple of ways, but I would say for everyone, start with the online course, it's 200 bucks. You got nothing to lose. I guarantee if you don't like it, I'll give you your money back. But the idea is that you sign up and it's, there's over 120 videos in there. Like it is so, so over delivered it's insane like the amount of value and and the thing for me is you know we're already into this for this this podcast this episode for an hour and i feel like i haven't talked about anything you know like i could literally talk dogs for weeks on end because i've studied so many different things right like i've studied a lot of unwanted behaviors and the different ways to approach it so the the program starts with the secret of dog training. Then there's some documents in there that you can print off some, some uh, follow along spreadsheets so that basically you can track your progress every day. You can write down, you you know, there's a section about your frustrations and your goals for your dog. So that way you actually have a plan because if you're not writing down your plans for your dog, for your health, for your marriage, for your career, for any of that, you don't know which way you're going. You don't have a plan. That's very dangerous. That's like getting your car and going, I'm going to Texas, but I don't know which way it is. Right. You're, you're going to land up in the, in the ocean, you know, or Canada. Um, And so you need to have a map. And also it's really nice to have one voice. So I signed up with a business coach this year and he, and he says his rule is one voice for one year. So what he means by that is, Don't go on everybody's podcast. Don't go on everybody's YouTube channel. Don't, don't have, don't be listening to this guy and that guy and this girl and that girl. Just try to just follow one thing. And so for me, that's why I wanted to have like a one-stop shop is that like, if you want to learn about grooming, it's in there. You want to learn how to play tug with your dog. It's in there. You want to learn about, you know, dealing with your own anxiety when it comes to having a, a difficult dog it's in there. Well, it'll be, it'll be in there Friday or something like that. I just keep adding to the, I just keep adding to the course. But anyway, the, the um, for me, it's, it's that I didn't, if, if there is going to be polarity, if there is going to be options in the course, which there is like, for example, I talk about how to condition a prong collar, but I also condition, you know, I show how to condition a gentle leader. So almost completely opposite things, but here's the thing. It's not my dog. It's not my journey. If you don't ever want to use a prong collar, that's okay. But you need another option. And you need an option that's going to be better than like a flat collar or a harness. Although, you know, I talk and use those as well. So for me, it was this this option of like, how can I provide the world with a balanced approach, but also in a way that you go like, well, I don't have to use any negative reinforcement if I don't want to. At no point is there a video that's like, here's how you hit your dog. Like, that's not... We're not talking that that kind of training, and so it's uh it's an option where people can can learn those things. And you know, we before we started talking earlier was like you had mentioned breeds and ages, right? You had said you had said something about that.
0: Yeah, I want like for, for what you're talking about, you know, the different methods and and you know, like we just talked now about different ways to to leash, you know, to to, to train a dog to walk on a leash. Is it does it differ from a breed to breed or age to age, or is it kind of, you know, dependent on what you want to do as a, as a owner or a parent?
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. So like we know, sorry, it's just away from the way we know that like, you know, a Chihuahua and a Doberminton quite often are not similar.
0: right? right.
1: Um, or, you know, a Labrador and a Rottweiler, they, they, but within that litter, let's say a litter of Rottweilers, they're all different, right? They all have their own unique personality. You know, whoever said in the Bible that, you know, a, a dog doesn't have a soul didn't spend any time with a the dog. They, you know, they all very much. And, and I worked with the monks in new Skeet a little bit with brother Chris, where I had a conversation with him and studied their material. And uh, I asked him, I was like, you know, I only have one question for you. Do you think dogs have, have a soul? Because in, you know, Catholicism, animals, animals don't, right. That's why we can allegedly eat them. And uh, he's like, of course I do. You know, <laughs> like a, <laughs> what a crazy, crazy statement. Anyway, um, they're all unique, but we all fundamentally learn the same way. And and that is through myelination. So myelination is the act of, and there's a really good, um, a really, really good book. And uh, I'm blanking on it right now. Um sugar the art of perfection is that anyway I'll 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 think of it it'll it'll come back to me but it basically talks about there's he kind of travels the world and talks about the best of the best you know there's this one town in Russia that produces more U.S. open tennis players than all of the United States there you know there's a little place In Italy, where the best soccer players come from or Brazil or or wherever it is there, you know, the best baseball players come from Puerto Rico in this one part. Why is that? Right. Talks about having a master coach, which is why there's a whole you section on you to learn how to be the dog trainer. This is one thing that I think a lot of dog trainers are maybe not happy that I'm talking about, but like we have to stop training the dogs. Our job needs to be to train people. You got to train your own dog. To pay someone else to train your dog, you will never have that. It's you're losing a very intimate time to learn, right? It's like homeschooling your kid with school. Uh, you, you, you know, you got to, it's just spending that time and developing that relationship. I'm not saying that you necessarily have to do that or even, you know, advocating we don't homeschool our kids, but we do spend time teaching them things and teaching them other things. It's that relationship thing. So to you learn by failure, you learn by getting it wrong and having that uncomfortable feeling of, well, that didn't sound right, right? Like think about if, if you sit down behind a piano, everyone, I'm sure everyone has sat down behind a piano at some point and just played a few keys and, and it's, you just hear that sound and it's, ooh, that wasn't right. Or you taste something and you go, ooh, that was a little right? But when you get it right, you get that, that, that reward. So the failure, you learn what not to do. And it's called, it's a process in your body of myelination. It's how you learn how to walk. It's how you learn how to talk. Um, And your brain wraps this, you know, this layer around to go, it's muscle memory, it's scar tissue to go, this is, this is how you learn. And so it's the same thing for the dog. When the dog sits and doesn't get the reward. that's a little bit painful for them. When you layer a little bit of pressure on top of that, it speeds up the process. So I truly believe that all dogs learn when you have the right system and have this secret of dog training. It's the same thing as like, if your job was to send emails, if every time you pressed a key or sent an email, you know, to go a little step further to send an email correctly, I was giving you a paycheck right away, as opposed to waiting two weeks for that reinforcement, you would be banging out emails like a crazy person. Right? Mm -hmm. So I believe that while between large breeds and hunting breeds and, and protective breeds, there are some drive differences like a, you know, your Doberman might be significantly more defensive. So how we deal with that, while it's going to be the same as the Chihuahua that's super defensive you might need to add a little bit more pressure, a little bit less pressure, a little bit more positive reinforcement, a little bit less positive reinforcement than you deal with the characteristic of you have a really nervous dog versus an overly confident dog. Obviously you're going to approach those dogs a little bit different. Maybe one you apply a little bit more brakes and the other one, a little bit more gas and deal with them that way. But fundamentally negative is negative, Positive is positive. And you, when you layer the two, it ultimately comes down to you're working with dogs very similarly.
0: Yeah, it almost sounds like how you're raising children. I mean, it's 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 the same way. Like you're not just gonna punish your kids all the time, you you know, it's gonna you're gonna raise kids with problems if you do that, and you're not gonna reward them all the time and ignore bad behavior. So it almost sounds like you're basically treating your dog as you should, as a baby, where or or, or a, a child, not a baby, as a child, where you you know, reinforce um, good behavior. You kind of address, we'll say address bad behavior. And and that way you kind of have a healthy relationship all around. And and I
1: think the, the problem there is because we are primarily verbal creatures, we think that we can talk to our dog. You know what you did and yada, yada, yada. And if you ever do that, they don't learn that way, right? If you come in and your dog's ripped up the garbage and you start hollering at them, and they, you look at, or you even look at them, you know, you're pissed and you just look at them and they give you that like, Oh, oh, <laughs> and they quote unquote, no, they did something wrong. Right. We've, we've all experienced that where they, you just look at the dog and they're like, Oh, well, but evolution has happened to the point where they go, they've learned, right. Which hunters are happy hunters and which hunters are pissed off. Get away from my meat. They've evolved to, to, to see our facial expressions and understand happy, angry, all that. They're amazing creatures, right? They really know. And they might even be able to sense the energy in the room. Like this is a happy posture. This is an unhappy posture, very physical and very, you know, visual, but also just that like, whoa, something's not good. If a dog can detect cancer, right? Cancer cells in your body before a doctor can, pretty sure they know from across the room, whether you're happy or sad. Right. So we're um, or angry or, or, or whatever it is. But uh, so the problem with saying, and you're right in a way, like, you know, it's, it's like raising, raising a kid. And, and, and also when that there is choice, you don't have to use negative reinforcement. You don't have to do anything. At no point do I tell someone like, this is what you should or shouldn't do. This is my experience. This is what has seemed to work really, really well for me and my dogs and my clients and, and their dogs that, and, and, you know, here's how we can expedite the process. You don't ever have to use negative reinforcement, but it does help expedite the the process because you learn quickly what you don't want to happen. Right. I don't like when this is a little uncomfortable. So I'm going to I'm going to work harder to avoid that situation. Have you if you've that, ever been broke? Ask, ask you a question
0: here. That's yeah. I, I'll I'll steal a little bit of a tip from you. So my dog chews every and anything. So I yep. can't have anything laying around, a shoe, a t-shirt, anything, okay? That is that he shouldn't get. Can't be laying around. And you know, when he does it, again, like you mentioned, I kind of tell him no or something like that or hold it and tell him no. And he does it again and again and again, to the point that I'm just, I just put stuff away and, and make yep, sure. You just avoid it. Right, so what, you know, in terms of, of, of uh, kind of addressing the negative behavior, how would you address it for him not to do it again? And obviously it's not something I can reinforce, like when he's not chewing something, it's, you know, it's not like I can, I can, he's just sitting there and be like, yeah, good job, you're not chewing, you know what I mean? Yeah,
1: I mean, you, you can, but is he getting the drift? right is right, he right. is he understanding without a bunch of cues of like this is chewing this is not chewing um no you you, you definitely can reinforce that so anytime that there's an unwanted behavior because i'm all about giving people a choice it's got to work for you if i go um you know go get an air horn and every time the dog you know uh choose is about to chew something you blow the air horn it, you know, it's going to scare the snot out of them, whatever. But if you're like, oh my God, I don't want to do that. And I'm I'm going to get evicted from my apartment. That's, that's crazy. If I go, that's the only option you're going to, you're going to left being like, oh, well that wasn't helpful. So you got to, you and your partner, if you're in a relationship because 90% of my job is relationship counseling, you got to get on the same frigging page, which is why it's so important. And that's why in the course it addressed with like, we're do, doing this as a family and we're writing these things out together because like, if your goal is to have the dog, um, if if your partner's frustration is the dog is in bed with us and your, and your frustration doesn't align with that or, or you don't agree with it, there's a serious conflict there, but okay. So let's get back to the, any sort of unwa- any unwanted behavior. This is my checklist. These are your four ways to do, deal with it. You can ignore it. You can avoid it. You can, redirect it or you can correct it so one of those four options so what are the consequences what are the pros and cons to ignoring it the pro is that you just get to go oh well and you get to buy new clothes every day right Right. Uh, the con would be that your dog is probably going to have an obstruction and die Um, it's going to cost you a lot. You know, if that doesn't happen, it's still going to cost you a ton of money in in clothing and bad for the environment and all that stuff. So with that behavior, you go, okay, well I probably can't ignore it. Right? Like that's not really a realistic option. Barking at the door. Maybe you ignore it. The dog will eventually stop barking. Person will go away. It's Mm -hmm. an option. Might not be the option that you're like, um, I want to do that, but it's an option. And, and to be honest, there's a lot of things that you w- might think as a dog trainer that I wouldn't ignore or avoid that I do that I'm just like not worth it um, because there's only so much time in the run of a day and there's only so much effort. It's the same thing as like there's plenty of plenty of arguments that I don't have with my wife. Right, because I want to stay married. I want to have a good day, and maybe I'll get lucky later. Right, so it's it's one of those things where, and I'm sure she does the. I know she does the exact same thing with me. Right, it's it's uh, a relationship is never it can never be everything that you want all the time. It's you know it's a dictatorship. So you can you can't ignore. The fact that your dog is chewing things because it's just it's too destructive and a it's dangerous for him right our job is to keep him safe so you can avoid it which is what you're doing right now right you're choosing the avoiding option I pick up the shoes I tidy up my house everything's away I make sure now other ways to avoid it would be to kennel or crate your dog when they're when you can't uh, when you can't watch them. Great, fantastic option with a puppy. It's the thing I recommend the most. If you can't have your eyes on that puppy, they are not doing something constructive, right? (laughs) At no point have you ever come back with a puppy and he was like doing the dishes or making something for lunch or he's pooing on something or peeing on something or chewing something up or, you know, out the front door. So if you can't watch your puppy in an X-Pen crate, you know, whatever, or attached you on a leash, So currently you're choosing the avoiding thing. Redirecting is a very popular option with um, purely positive trainers. So it would be like, he's chewing on your shoe, show him uh, that you have a treat or go play fetch or, you know, redirect his his energy and his attention from the thing that you don't want him to do and onto the positive. And so, my problem with that, especially with like reactive dogs, dogs that bark at other people, Hey, look at the treat is look and bark at the person, get a treat. If your timing is not right, that would be one of those situations where you go, the dog avoided, like the dog looked at the person and then looked at me and didn't bark. That's when you would reward. But if you keep moving away and moving away and moving away from the, the person and, and rewarding the dog barks and whatever you're not actually dealing with the problem so at some point the dog's going to get close enough that they blow up that is my experience anyway some dogs very rarely will there be a dog that goes okay there's a person over there and uh i learned that i want to treat more because they get a flood of dopamine they get a a blast of dopamine and adrenaline when they blow up at something right it's fun to holler and scream. Uh, and so that's what the dog gets off on. So you gotta be careful with that one, especially depending on the breed, right? You get a dog that's pretty jacked up and you, you, you know, you get a dog that has either some fighting lines or some working lines in them. You know, you get a Malinois or Doberman or or a lot of dogs, even some golden retrievers. They learn that it's really fun to bark and lose their mind at people at the window. Um, so you know, you you just got to be careful about how you're redirecting and are you actually just positively reinforcing that behavior? Uh, so the last option is correction, right? You, but the the problem with correcting your dog is oftentimes if you're, you're not paying attention, right? You're not intentionally setting up the scenario to teach them a lesson. It, and what happens is you show up, you walk into the room and the dog's chewing on your shoe and you're not prepared and you didn't know. And then so you end up just you know, saying or doing something that wasn't part of the plan. You had to intentionally, like with a puppy, right? put down some Kleenex on the ground or put down your shoe and correct them for it. Now, a correction for me starts as minimal as possible, but oftentimes just saying no, whether it's a firm no or you're even screaming at the dog, they, they learn to just ignore that. Right. There's been a lot of people, a lot of relationships that thought it was normal to just scream at each other. Right. And so it's the same thing with the dog. The dog at some point will just go, yeah, yeah, whatever. I heard that a billion (laughs) times. It doesn't mean anything. Right. Right. Uh, I lived in Morocco for a stint. And uh, unless you speak Arabic, this won't make any sense is I heard the word "la"? People said "la" to me a lot. No idea what it meant until one day I was doing something that I shouldn't have. And a guy said, LA and he pushed me now. Arabic is kind of a, you know, a a guttural kind of harsh language. So like "la" was just, you know, it it was just a word. And, but the, the intensity and the fact that he put his hands on me in a negative way. I, that (laughs) I I backed off and I was, you know, to be honest, what did you
0: do for him to do that?
1: Oh, I was in a bazaar and there was, there was like a open spices and i i went to like put my hand in the spices to be honest you know i was i was 19 living in morocco the best hash in the world i was pretty high at the time and so (laughs) he said la he pushed me and i just did the same thing again right i mean if you've ever you've ever had moroccan hash you know that it takes a few times for a lesson to learn when you're when you're high so not doing that anymore but anyway so the 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 guy went la and he pushed me and I just was like what and I knew the guy and so um, he goes la and he pushes me again and I learned that day that la means no but I didn't know that right just the same thing as you going no to your dog and nothing happens so no in a dog's language is what it's a growl it's a warning No is a warning when the police say, don't do that. If you continue to do that, you, you know, something worse happens and then something worse happens and then something worse from that happens. And it, it, and it's a ladder. It should be anyway. You know, Mm -hmm. you shouldn't just get a thousand dollar speeding ticket and, uh, And go to jail for five years for going five kilometers over the speed limit right like that just doesn't make any sense so it's the same thing as the puppy's first time they don't know that they're not supposed to chew on the shoe or an adult dog necessarily right you keep taking it away and you keep saying no but like you know okay let's say let's argue and let's say that that they do know that they shouldn't chew the shoe but they keep doing it but chewing the shoe is more fun than the no is bad right the reward is greater than the consequence yeah so you just need to make the consequence greater than the reward right and so you but you don't know how big of a consequence that's going to be so one of my favorite forms of negative reinforcement especially with seems to be short 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 haired dogs like dobermans hate this is a water bottle you just walk up to them and go "No." that's your growl right a dog does what it growls and then what's to do after it growls if you don't listen to if you don't respect the growl it barks but a lot of them will bite right yeah, yeah and uh, yeah. right maybe it, maybe it growls then it barks then it nips then it bites right yeah. so but <clears throat> mother puppies they growl and then they bite <laughs> yeah. and so they you know they'll shake them they'll scruff them it seems very violent and i'm not recommending you do that because you're not a dog um, and so but if you went up to them and you went no and then sprayed them in the face with a water bottle He's probably not going to like that. Now, that can be very dangerous if you don't have a, a solid relationship with your dog or this is a new rescue dog. I don't recommend you necessarily go that approach. Um, you need to ease into that. But you know, a lot of times with a rescue dog, if you raise them by getting them to work for their food, you're establishing there's so much positive. This is the thing that people get hung up on negative reinforcement is they go, Oh, it's so bad. The dog's not going to love me or trust me. It, it, yeah, if that's all you did, it's like the police. I've never, even as you know, the son of a police officer, driven by a police officer, and been happy. <laughs> yeah. It's always shit. Uh, did they? Uh, you know, there's always that negative feeling. You nobody gets jacked when they see the cops. My mom didn't get excited. You know, <laughs> it's because it's nothing but negative reinforcement. This is why so many people go to this radical approach of like. Just get rid of the assholes, right? They're not providing anything good because the good that they provide is not um, something visual. It's not something in the moment, right? You want them when you need them. If you're getting robbed, you, you, you know, typically you're going to want them, but um, you know, the rest of the time they just look like they're doing nothing, right? They're not, you're not bringing me anything good. When was the last time a police officer came out and gave you 20 bucks? Never, right? So it's the same idea with your dog is that if it's constantly negative reinforcement and there's no positive, you're not constantly working on the positive. There's a, there's a misbalance in the relationship. You're giving them everything for free. So you're basically just raising them like a spoiled brat. And then the rest of your time is negative, 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 negative. And it's something as parents, um, of dogs or of children is, is, you know, what can we do to get them to work for it? What can we do to empower them? to go, Hey, you can do really good things. You want this ball? You want this tug? You want to show me what you know? No, no, go ahead. Show me. All right. Good job. And so as puppies, they don't know what's going to be good for them. They don't know what's going to be bad for them. That that's why it's our our job to show them those things. So there's different ways to use negative reinforcement. I think the, the easy way out is, is often the, our, our first route, but you know, working with your dog daily is, it's a challenge sometimes, but that's why it's about making it super easy. Three to five minutes. If you don't have three to five minutes to train your dog, you shouldn't have a dog. Right? So it's that, it's that element of working with them daily, chipping away at it. Just chip away at it. You want a six pack of abs. It's not going to happen overnight. Just chip away at it. Don't make it grueling to the point where you're going to throw up and not be able to you know, <laughs> sit up straight for a week because then you're not going to do sit ups anymore. If you train your dog for 30 minutes or an hour, you're not gonna to want to do it the next day, and your dog sure as hell is not gonna to want to do it probably because it's too long—three to five minutes—and then just do. And, and then if you, and then if after ten minutes of not training, you want to do another three to five minutes, do another
0: three to five minutes. That's simple. That's yep. the secret. Love it, man. There's so much that we can talk about right now, but we'll have to do another one. We'll have to do another one. We're gonna to have to do many more. You know, you can, you can come back anytime. I, I really, enjoy I love the it. Conversation, but. Where can people find you? Tell us about the website, your podcast. Say that you said that you started a podcast, your Instagram, all that stuff.
1: Yeah. So if anybody just Googles Doggett, D-O-G-G-E-T-T, D-O-G-G-E-T-T, style, Doggetstyle.com, Doggetstyle on Instagram,
0: Doggetstyle dog training on Facebook. It's Doggetstyle, baby. We're everywhere. I love it, man. I, I, li- I like your style. I like your, your, your training method i think the to look to look at dogs as 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 you're in a relationship with them versus kind of telling them what to do i like it a lot that's i think that's uh and, and i see it firsthand with my dog i'm kind of relating to a lot of the stuff you're saying so thanks for coming on man like i said you can come back anytime i think there's a lot of stuff that we need still need to talk about uh maybe we'll yeah, we get, a lot to, we get a lot to unpack a lot more and a lot more about your experiences too maybe in the beginning of every episode, we'll talk a little bit about your experiences, a lot of interest. So thanks, man, cool. for coming on. Uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Go check out mypaws.com. Go check out um, Evan's website. I would definitely recommend if you have a puppy or um, even an older dog, a lot of older dogs don't behave either. So go check them out, check out the course, and uh, don't forget to give your supplements. See you guys next episode.